If there is one sure thing in this lifetime is that there will always be another trend. There will always be something new that will come and go. Whether it be a dance or fashion, a word even, or even a way of life, trends are often popping up and leaving every, after that 15 minutes of fame. So just even think back to the 70s, well, the 1770s, matter of fact. You could probably remember King Louis, who was discouraged at the age of 17, so much to the point where he, he creates the powdered wig. The powdered wig, which he would put upon his head, would become the trendsetter for all the royalty throughout Europe. And not just throughout Europe, for generations to come for their upper class. But if you look around today, you see the trend of powdered wigs didn't stick around too well. You see, some of these things even needed to go. Some of these things didn't need to stick around for too long. Back in the 1970s, I knew some of you might have been wearing bell bottoms at that time. I knew some, some may even be in the 90s nice, may have been wearing parachute pants. And in my, back, in my childhood days, we had the pants that were actually worn backwards. So you had the pockets in the front and the, yeah, and the zipper in the back. Some of these trends actually just needed to die. They didn't need to go on any longer. You see, there are even some things that are not even just confined to this country, just trends that we see. Sometimes trends and phenomena go beyond this country to the entire world. If you go to pretty much any country in the world at one point in time and you ask them about Michael Jackson's thriller, millions of billions of people would lose their minds at the name of Michael Jackson and his thriller. Back some 10 years ago, there was this Korean pop star that created this new dance. And just on YouTube alone, 4.1 billion people viewed it and tried to imitate his dance. For just a perspective, that's over half of the world's population. Not just the country, but the world's over half the world bought into the trend of this Korean pop star. Yep, then there are some trends which we wish were still here with us. You probably think of things that were prominent in your own childhood. Things that you, you remember having when you were a wee little lad or uh, running around your yard. Things you wish that were still there. But quickly, you see a way of life begin to dissipate before your very eyes. Even if it's a way of which you used to do church. Ways of which we used to do family dinners, the ways of which we used to go about our business throughout the day. Trends come and go. Lifestyles come and go. And from beginning to end, they all have their time and then they fade away. From being far out to being too legit to being lit now. From Enrique Iglesias to Lin-Manuel Miranda, they have their time and they fade out. From Selena to Cardi B, these people come in, but they will fade away. Trends and fads, they rise to prominence only to fade away in time. This world, in a world of disappearing trends, beloved, I will call your attention to another trend of sorts. 
One that began not in a time that we may be familiar with, but in the beginning of time. One that began at the beginning of time, one that even the reputation of the sun depends on. A reputation of which we depend upon. This worldwide phenomenon has been recognized in every culture, every nation, every tribe, and every tongue, and every generation. This trend is none other than the glory and the exaltation of our God. You see, this is a major theme as we come to our text here today. So I invite you to turn with me to Psalm chapter 57. Psalm chapter 57. We will begin at verse one and read it in its entirety. Psalm chapter 57. Amen. And it reads to the choir master, according to do not destroy a midcam of David when he was fled from Saul in the cave. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. For in you, my soul takes refuge in the shadow of your wings. I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purposes for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. Selah. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amidst fiery beasts. The children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way. But they have fallen into it themselves. Selah. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. For a thought today, I just want to pull straight from our text as a title to use Our God is Exalted. Our God is is exalted. The Psalms are a collection of hymns and prayers and poems put together, but not just kind of willy nilly, but they're strategically put together to somewhat retell the redemption story of God's people. 
That being the case, the Psalms are usually connected with a story of Israel or a story of one specific author. Being a Psalm of David, we will usually find it connected with a story of David. Today's passage is very much the same. While we're not particularly sure which story to connect it with, it's either we assume will either be 1 Samuel 22 or 1 Samuel 24. When David is yet again on the run from Saul, who is seeking to try and kill him. He has an army of men looking after him, seeking to take his life. Psalms often carry with them some element of either praise or exaltation, or they carry with them some note of lament, a desperate cry, a call out to the Lord. And our psalm today finds elements of both in our passage. They find elements of both lament and exaltation. You see, our psalm today, when we see David's lament, he calls upon the Lord there in our passage today for his mercy. He says, oh, God, be merciful. We need he needs his mercy in verse one. And these afflictions are so bad that David will say in verse four, my soul is in the midst of lions. And in verse six, he would say, my soul is bowed down within me. I have been brought low. Yet we get the theme of exaltation as well in Psalm 57. And this is clearly seen with this echo of this phrase in uh, verses 5 and 11, where it says, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. You see, the name of God that is used here in this psalm is the God the Most High. Elyon Elohim. The name that means that he is above all of the things. He is superior to everyone. This means that of all the other gods that are on the shelf, he's on the shelf entirely by himself and on the top of it. This is the God who is most high. For God to be most high or even exalted over everything, that means he must be superior and exalted in every way. Not just some way. For him to be the most high, he must be exalted in every way. That means in his intelligence, in his power, in his authority, in his ability, in his beauty. God must be exalted in every way. And I believe the scriptures affirm that, in fact, our God is superior. In Genesis 14, we learn that he is the possessor of the heavens and the earth. He says in Genesis 14, he says, blessed be Abraham by God most high, the possessor of the heavens and the earth. You see, meaning that the big ball in the sky, that God put that there. He is even superior above all of creation. He is the God that owns everything. That means he is the one who is able to give of his possessions at his own means, at his own will, at his own prerogative. He can give of his possessions. And I think we even see that as we see the nation of Israel, he, he gives to them his land. Deuteronomy 32, verse 8, he says, The Most High God gave the nations their inheritance, 
when he divided mankind and fixed their borders. We know that from his mouth only comes good. Lamentations 3.28 will tell us that, meaning that everything that he ordains is right and good. Whether that being in the land of people and being in the promised land for the Israelites or whether it's roaming around in the wilderness looking for the promised land. If the Lord has ordained it to be to happen, it means it is good for them. Whatever it is, the Lord, if he speaks it, it is good. And just to dispel any other assumptions, this is not just the God most high, God the Father, but we even see this same characteristic as given to Jesus Christ himself. Luke chapter one, verse 32 calls him the son of the most high God, meaning that the rights of the father of the father, which he has his authority, his power, his beauty, his splendor. The same thing is attributed over to his son. It's the same gene pool. The spirit of God is referred to as the most high God. This entire triune of God is referred to as God most high. But the question can be asked, though, how is the knowledge of God being exalted above all the work and all the toil and trial? How does this work with lament? How does this work with the cry of desperation? Why would David cry about his problems if he knows God is exalted over all of them? And I believe that is a great lesson in which the psalm would actually teach us here today. It would teach us it is OK to cry out to the Lord in the storms of life because he is exalted over them all. It is OK to tell the Lord of the wickedness of which we see here on earth because he is exalted over them all. No matter where we go, God is over all. Therefore, we can cry for a little while, but eventually we must introduce the exalted God into all of our situations, into wherever we live. We must know that God is exalted above them all. You see, the knowledge of this type of God, the knowledge of a God will lift our souls when the troubles of life come our way. This knowledge of God will be able to wipe the tears from our eyes. You see, the main thing I would love for us to walk away with knowing today is that our souls can take refuge in the God who is exalted over all the earth. Our souls can take refuge in the God who is exalted over all the earth. And I believe our passage today shows us that in three different ways and they'll serve as our three points. In verses one through two, we'll see that God is exalted over all the storms. Verses four, three through six, we'll see God is exalted over all the wicked. And verses seven through 11, we'll see God is exalted over all the nations. But our first point, God is exalted over all the storms. See, those who are familiar with the story of David during his ascension to the throne, we know very well that destruction and those who desire to destroy him are all around him. 
He is chased from place to place by a jealous king by the name of Saul, seeking to put him out of the way so he has no one else to rival himself. In a jealous uproar, he goes after David, seeking to kill him. And it seems everywhere David turns, he either finds Saul or finds another enemy. He finds Saul or he finds the Philistines. He finds Saul or another, pe- another people seeking to take his life. Yet, although as these people who seem to do him wrong, who seem to bring destruction upon his life, who seem to bring their, hit, their wrath upon him, he doesn't turn to them to seek mercy. He doesn't seek mercy from the enemy, from those who seek to destroy him. Yet he seeks mercy from God. Verse one, it reads, be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge. He calls upon the Lord to care for his soul. What does he mean by his soul? The, the whole being of, his, of himself, the body, mind, and spirit. He works to call upon the Lord to take care of the whole of himself. The Lord to care for my soul. And he says, under the shadow of the wings, I will find refuge. He finds refuge, not within the cave in which he is hiding in, but he finds refuge underneath a shadow, a shadow of the wings of God. This is somewhat a callback even for us if we know our Bibles. This could even be a callback with the ideal of mercy and this shadow being there, a callback to even the Ark of the Covenant. You see, there in the midst of the holies, the holies is the Ark of the Covenant. And there at the top of it is the mercy seat. And over the mercy seat are two cherubim with their wings. And underneath the shadow of their wings is mercy. And I think David is actually giving us a call back to this type of imagery. As he comes to the throne of the mercy, will he find grace underneath the shadow of the wings? But how long will David seek for this mercy and this grace before he just gets tired? Before he just begins to question whether or not, is there really mercy at this seat? Is there really anything for me from our God underneath the shadows of his wings? Well, it does this again in verse one. He will seek the Lord. He will will hide in the shadow of his wings when until the storms of destruction or calamities, which your King King James may read. Until the storms of destruction and calamities pass by, I will cry out to God most high who fulfills his purposes for me. You see, God has the high ground in the midst of all of his situations. So he's going to stay there with God at the high ground, at the, with the most high until all the storms of life pass by. You see, this idea of the high ground, some of you maybe may have heard it before. Like, what does it mean to have the high ground? Well, to go to a high ground means to go to a place where I can seek safety, a place when if I need to find out where to go, I can go to the high place to get a sense of direction of where do I need to be going? It gives me an advantage over the enemy to know I have the high ground over those who would attack me. 
It is a way to escape the floods of this life as they take place, as he takes footing at the most high place where his most high God is settled. And because he knows if he settles here, God will fulfill his good purposes for him. But that also should bring us to ask the question, where does your soul find its highest ground? When the troubles and trials and hurts and harms come your way, where does your soul find high ground? When you get the diagnosis that you do not want to hear, where does your soul retreat to? When you're tired from the day and you don't feel like you have it within yourself to go anymore, where does your soul run to? When you're weary of taking care of kids and taking care of others, where does your soul run to then? When things do not go right in your life, where does your soul flee to? When destruction is all around you, where does your soul take refuge? You see, my prayer is that it will see to take refuge, not in the things of this world, thinking they will serve as your high ground. They will not save you. But if your high ground is set with the God most high, you will be in the safest place ever. You see, don't run to your favorite TV show thinking it'll be able to save you. Don't think your intelligence is your high ground. Don't think your finances or your money is your high ground. All of this can go away just as fast as the morning do. Don't think that your food or the things that your caves of isolation are your refuge. They are not. Go to the God who is the most high. Trust in him, not horoscopes, not crystals, not energy councils. Trust in God who is the most high for your refuge and for your safe place for all the storms in your life. There is an old song that says, Lord, lift me up and let me stand by grace on heaven's table land. No higher place that I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Yeah, we'll get weak and the high ground looks so far away. And we know it's hard to climb and we know it's hard to stay in the midst of this high ground. But my friend, take heart. Beloved, take heart. Although the high ground may seem hard to get to, all you must do is hide underneath the shadow of his wings. Hide underneath the shadow of his wings. My friends, and his wings have a broad reach, a reach that is over all the earth. So what should they encourage us to do? They should encourage us to cry out to the Lord. Be honest with him. Tell him where it hurts. He is the good physician that knows that we have hurts and harms here in this life. So cry out to the Lord. Tell him, this is where it hurts, my God. And he is a God who is able to lead you and care for you through this time. See the reach of the shadow of his wings. See the reach of his mercy it is over all the earth. Our God is exalted above all the storms of life. See how the Lord has kept you even till now. Look back over your life. See how the Lord has brought you thus far. This is our God who is exalted above all. And he has protected you by the shadow of his wings. The shadow of his wings is safer than any fortified bunker. The shadow of his wings is safe for you, 
no matter what comes. You can withstand anything that comes in this life just by remaining in the refuge of the shadow of his wings. And that, that cannot be said for everyone, though. Not everyone is taking refuge in the Lord in this way because there will become a calamity upon those who are wicked. Those who will not be able to escape. There will be no high ground for them because they have lived a life that is wicked. And it brings us to our second point that God is exalted over all the wicked. David's story continues and we see the wicked, how they triumph over his life. Verse three, he says that he was sent from heaven to save me, though, that there is a salvation that is coming for David. And there's a great comfort in knowing that the Lord is not content with just hanging in heaven himself, but he is willing to send from heaven to save his people, to save his people from the wicked people that will seek to destroy them. And the Lord is sending salvation for his people. Although they are trampled upon, although they are destroyed, God is looking to help them in their helpless state. And we see the arsenal of the wicked. It's given to us in our text today. We see the tools that the wicked use in order to attack the righteous. Verse three, there are those who trample upon David. Verse four, they're described as lions and fiery beasts. Verse four, it says their teeth are spears and arrows and their tongues are sharp as swords. Verse six, they set traps for him that they will fall into him. They dig pits for him. What a vicious picture that we see from the wicked people. When they have this type of arsenal, when God brings his salvation, well, he, we would say, well, we need something that's going to match that. We need something that's going to match the swords and the spears and the arrows and the beasts and the fiery lines that are attacking us. But what does the Lord send from heaven? Verse one. He says he sends his faithful love and his truth. He sends faith and truth. He sends his love. He sends his love to David. He sends this truth to David. It's almost as if God did not hear what David just said. They have spears, Lord, but you send me love. They have arrows. They have beasts. And you send me truth. Well, I think the picture that's actually trying to be drawn here is not just warm words of comfort. But rather, I believe the Lord is showing that I don't just send you comforting words, but I send myself. I send the very essence of myself to save my people. You see, throughout the text, throughout the scriptures, we see this type of description given for God over and over again as one who is steadfast in love and one who is faithful. The translators have a hard time working through what these two words actually mean. But I really think it means just the Lord is faithful and true. He sends this the very essence of himself to save his people. We get this in Exodus chapter 34, verse six, as Moses is on top of Mount Sinai. 
the Lord comes to Moses and he says in the cloud as he dwells with Moses, he says, the Lord God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in what? Steadfast love and faithfulness. He's abounding in faith and truth. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, as God is preparing to send the people into the promised land, he comes before them once again. He says, know that the Lord your God is faithful in love and keeps his commandments. He is faithful and true. To hear the Lord is sending from heaven faith and truth, we should hear that God is sending himself to save his people. Yes, they have arrows. Yes, they have swords. Yes, the beasts are fiery. But God himself is coming to save his people. And this should sound like a very familiar story to some of us. Sound like a familiar story of those people who are trapped in bondage underneath the Romans, who are oppressed daily, who are who are onslaughted by people who do not care about them. They have their swords and their armies and they're all trampling upon the people of Israel. And they wait a Messiah, someone to come and to save them from the wickedness that is all around them. And what the Lord sends to them is his very self, his own son, faithful and true. Christ comes into the world. But he comes riding on a donkey. He came not on the horse, but he came on a donkey, a savior who came and was killed by the enemy rather than kill the enemy. And it seems like the plan of which the Lord has for his salvation has all come to fail because the wicked are just too strong. The wicked have their enemy. They have their weapons and they have conquered the Lord's best plan. But they did not see the end of the story. They did not see how the Lord would rise victorious from the grave, proving that he has power over life and death. This is our savior. As faith and truth comes in to face all the wickedness of the world, the wickedness of the world could not overcome him. The sinfulness of the world could not overcome our savior because he is exalted over all. Yes, he was high and lifted up on a cross, but he was exalted and raised from the grave. And now he is ascended to on high. And it's even a picture that we should be looking for for the future, because we get this vision from John in Revelation chapter 19 of once again, this salvation coming from heaven to us, to his people of one who is what? Who is faithful and true. Jesus Christ himself is coming back to finish what he has started. And it may seem like the wicked have won the battle. It may seem like the wicked have conquered the world, but the Lord will return faithful and true to his word, true his salvation, true to his redemption. He will save his people and he will conquer the wicked. And for those who can trust in this salvation, those who can trust in the salvation that is coming from heaven to the earth, we can say amen. We can say we trust you. We know that God's plan of salvation is sure. But I know that there are those in here who may not have confessed 
with their mouths that Christ is Lord. And my friends, and let me just say this with full honesty. If you have not confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, well, your mouth looks just like the wicked ones in this passage, full of arrows, full of spears, full of sharp swords, seeking to make war against the Lord. And if you seek to make war against the Lord, he will come and bring judgment upon you. My call to you now is no longer trust in your way and trust in your will. Don't trust in the ways of this world. Don't trust in your high ground. Don't trust in your weaponry, but trust in the faith and the love that is given in Christ Jesus. Trust in him. Turn from your sins. Lay down your weapons and pick up the righteous garment of Christ. Take off the old self and follow Christ with all your heart, with all your mind and with all your soul. Trust in God. But then for those of us who are trusting in Christ, who are walking in righteousness, my encouragement to you would be to see the salvation that is coming for you. Keep it at the forefront of your mind. Remind yourself of the gospel often. See the salvation that comes for you in Christ Jesus. See the Christ that saves you. See the body of Christ. Do not forsake gathering with one another. I think that's just a great way of which we can be reminded that our God was coming back for us is just to see one another. Just to see each one another standing in the faith. We just finished First Thessalonians. And Paul makes this claim to the Thessalonians that if you are standing firm in your faith, I can live. That should be the same for us. If we can see each other standing firm in the faith, that should do nothing but bolster up our confidence that salvation is coming for the righteous. Even as we see it, also be reminded as you hear it. Hear the salvation of the Lord that comes for you. Hear it by reading his word. Take time to hear the word being read over you. Take time throughout your week to take up the word of God. Take up the sword of truth and to meditate in it. But also, I just want to encourage you to do what you've already been doing. To sing. To sing as if you know the Lord has saved you. Sing as if you know that your Savior will return for you. Sing as if you know that you can be encouraged no matter what happens in your life. Now, we know the stories of one another. We know the troubles and all the harm that comes against us. But just to look across the road and see the person that's endured through so much, yet sing with a boisterous, joyous call to the Lord to know that although I've lost loved ones, my body aches. I have, I have been trampled on by my enemies. I have been hurt and harmed all day long. But yet I can sing glory to my Lord Jesus. That should be an encouragement to us. So sing loudly and sing confidently. And believe that if, as we sing, this song will just lead into our more triumphant song in the future. When the Lord will return for his people. And I believe that that one last application is that we will see God exalted over all the nations. The last few verses there are just really David's excitement. <laughs> David's gotten happy, as we would say back in my church growing up. He's gotten excited. He's got his little dance going on. 
Maybe he's danced out of his clothes again. Who knows? David has gotten excited because now, just like a, Christmas, like a child on Christmas morning, he's waking up everybody. He says, awake, O dawn, awake, harp, wake, liar, everyone, awake, see this salvation. God is exalted above all the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. He is, chosen, he is chosen to see God exalted wherever he is. Over all the nations, over all the tribes, over all the tongues, God is exalted. And this excites David because he knows this means salvation for him. And he knows this means the wicked will have their day. And it's this call to us in the same way as to make God known over all the earth. To make God known over all the nations. Because we know of this salvation. You should be excited about the salvation that comes from the Lord. It may not show up in the same way which it does me. But it should show up in how you proclaim his excellence to wherever you are. Now we often think about proclaiming his glory to the nations that we have to go across the seas. But may I encourage you, start where you are. Start where you are proclaiming the goodness of our God at your house. Proclaim it to your spouse. Proclaim it to your children. Proclaim it to whoever walks inside your door. Begin making noise, exalting God. Awake people with your proclamation that God is over all. As you go to work, talk to your co-workers as you get chance. Talk to your bosses. Talk to the person who's checking you out at Walmart. Talk to everyone that you can. Make his glory known above all the earth. Talk to your neighbors. Come walk around the block. Tell people of the glory of the Lord. The call is for people to wake up and to make known that our God is exalted over all the nations. Then that's the call for us as well, to wake up and make him known. Because as far as his steadfast love and faithfulness goes, so should our praise and our proclamation. And it goes as high as to the heavens. It goes as high as to the skies because his glory is above the heavens and the earth. So wake up, my friends, ye saints of the Lord. Make him known wherever you are and pray that he is continually exalted over all the earth. You see, kind of coming back to the point we started with earlier. This trend of God's glory and his exaltation, well, it's actually no trend at all. You see, the, the heavens and the earth, they will fade away. There will become a new heaven and a new earth. But the glory of our God, that'll remain forever. So my encouragement to you is to make this known throughout all the earth. To wherever you go. This is what we should wake people up to. This is our call. This is our glory. This is our salvation. Let us pray. Lord, we we get Excited to know that you are coming back for us. 
your glory, your salvation is true. We thank you that you are coming back for us. Because, Lord, you know that it gets hard. We struggle. But yet you have not left your servants to suffer alone. Salvation comes from heaven, faithful and true. So we will wait for it. But while we wait, we will make you known throughout all the nations. And we're going to trust that you are exalted above all. You're no trend that will fade away like the dew of the morning. But you will remain faithful for all of eternity. Father, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen.